Welcome to the Brilliantly Resilient Podcast. What's your train wreck? Everyone has one. The question is, are you going to live there or are you just visiting? Let's check in with Mary Fran and Kristen to learn how to come through not broken, but brilliant. Hey everyone, before we dive into this week's episode, we have a resource that we wanted to tell you about. Transform every week of yours with our brilliance bit that will deliver right to your email inbox. Sign up for it at brilliantlyresilient.net and keep living brilliantly resilient. Hey everybody, welcome back to another episode of Brilliantly Resilient Live. Today we have with us my Zen muse, my friend Christine <laughs> Everly, who has written several books. We're going to talk about her second one today. This is the first one. I don't know if you can see this. It's called Finding God in Ordinary Time. It lives on my nightstand because it is meditations of finding God and finding your spirituality in, I would say, moments that most of us wouldn't expect. And those are the perfect places to, I think, especially in this day and age of find that spiritual help that we are all seeking. So Christine, thanks so much for joining us again to talk about your second book. So exciting to be back. Well, we're delighted to have you. So Finding God in Ordinary Time, one of the things that I remember most about our first uh, conversation was how you came to the title of Finding God in Ordinary Time. So let's kind of go back to that and then let's segue into Finding God Abiding and how that book has come to be. So that's two funny stories and you only know one of them. So okay, uh, set you up for this. So thank you. Um, the quick version of Finding God in Ordinary Time is I had intended this first book as a nice little Advent resource with Ignatian themes and finding God in all things is very much an Ignatian concept. So I was going to call it Finding God in Advent. And then I was with a very interfaith group of people who told me that that was a ridiculous title because <laughs> I made it into a, so that's what I, so that if I made you it You gotta into, have honest friends in your life who are just willing to say, that's really stupid. Don't do that. <laughs> right, right. Well, and the reason was, if you call it Finding God in Advent and you make it a nice little Advent resource, it will live in small Catholic bookshops where people like us, they said, will never find it. So I made a decision, you know, four years ago now to pivot to a broader audience. And, but when they said that, I joked, well, then what am I going to call it? Finding God in ordinary time? Yes. <laughs> ding, 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 ding. Right, right, right. <laughs> so for this book, I knew that I wanted to, I, I, this is a companion volume. It is four more weeks of daily meditations with four different themes. And on the cover, I wanted it to be, as I said to my poor cover designer, can you make me something that's just like the first one, only different? <laughs> <laughs> but, but she did. I mean, here they are side by side. They're beautiful books. They're beautiful. Yeah. She did a pretty good job of, of pulling that off. With the title, I knew I wanted it to be Finding God. Um, I didn't, I was pretty sure I didn't want to lock myself into the word in like finding God in X. Because once you have two books that start with finding God in, that's what you got to do for the rest of your life. Yes. Maybe not, but that's that was my train of thought. So I had to memorize the prepositions in fifth grade. Thank you, Sister Marion Robinson. Um, so I ran through all the prepositions and wrote down which of them 
could follow the words finding God. Above, across, after, among, beside, beneath, beyond, during. I was during, totally over, doing the song above. in my head when you said that. There you go. Yeah. <laughs> I, was, I was a champ at preposition songs. Yes. You know, they're, they're awesome. Um, so with, so there were all the prepositions. So then I came up with all the various titles that could go with those prepositions. <laughs> finding God after all, finding God on new ground, finding God behind the tapestry, finding God beyond my accustomed shelter, <laughs> finding Ooh, God for yeah. every movement. Oh my gosh. You know, and I had a couple other ends there. Mm-hmm. Pretty sure I didn't want to go there. And then this word abiding came to me and I had several go rounds with, you know, English majory friends about whether it was okay to have a three word title with two gerunds in it. Oh, for heaven's sakes. Only, only English nerds would think of anything like that. I'm envisioning, I'm remembering diagramming sentences and the slash and the pronouns and all. You just took me back. So we got two wings here, but you know what? That's just going to have to be okay. And the other interesting thing. So you can see how this is in a handwriting font. Asha Hossein, my cover designer, had proposed a number of different handwriting fonts and I did not like any of them. And so I took all the mock-ups to my friend Rosemary Duffy's house and I said, please help me figure this out. And she said, I don't like them either. And she said, you have nice handwriting. Why don't you just write it yourself? Oh. So that's so what you abiding did. Abiding is written in your handwriting? Abiding is written in my very own handwriting, um, wow. which I, and Asha thought that was a great idea. I wrote the word abiding approximately 200 times <laughs> um, in, you know, various widths of Sharpies and, you know, scans. And that's where, and that's how it came to be. This is the one, this is the one she liked. So Well, I have to tell you, um, I'm thrilled beyond words that your friends told you that your first title of your first book was a really stupid idea and that you went with something else. (laughs) Because in all truth, um, when I read this first book, and here's something else that I want to make clear to the audience. Sometimes when people use the term meditation, they think of something that is, you know, overtly religious. Yes. And you're, yeah, exactly. And you're chanting and, you know, you're sitting in the lotus position and all that. But that's not what this book is. Uh, It can be used that way. And I think that's the beauty of it. And I'm sure the second book follows the same path that it can be used as a more spiritual meditation, but it's also just lovely, simple stories of how if you are awake to it, you can find the spiritual and the good and the beauty and the God in everyday moments. So I want people to know that despite the fact that, you know, it, it, it sounds, you know, religious and meditations, it's not that at all. It's, it's just really um, amusing on life and how you find God in those moments, which, oh my gosh, we all need that. Right, right. And, you know, I, I'm intrigued by your words, not religious. I'm not sure that I would say that exactly, but it's not, um, somebody said, uh, it's, it's not finger wagging. Right. Religious. And it's not, and it's not dogmatic. Right, right. So, so that's, I think, per- perhaps that's what I meant. Like, you, you don't have to be Catholic. Right. To enjoy this, this book, it, it, it transcends, it's very transcendent in terms of, you know, the audience. Yes, I don't, I don't want to tell anybody what they should believe because my telling them doesn't actually help them believe that. Let's dive into this, this title. So I'm, I'm a bit of a word geek, right? 
I like to know all the meanings of things. So I just looked up for our listeners. If you aren't familiar with the word abiding, a feeling or memory lasting a long time enduring. Is that what you have in mind? Is that what this book is about? Tell us about how the title, what the book is about. Well, interestingly, I did the same thing. (laughs) And in the introduction, I say, what does it mean to abide? Surveying dictionaries online. See, we are kind of spirit sisters. I found to continue without fading or being lost, to dwell, Hmm. to bear patiently, to endure without yielding. And I say, together, these meanings convey a sense of God's profound engagement. Mm. God chooses to dwell with each of us, a steadfast presence through life's endlessly varied ups and downs, ebbs and flows, joys and sorrows, triumphs and catastrophes. Mm. I think it's so important that you, you, and, you know, me finding the words for a long time, this is a long journey. And the words that you just said, I think that I know for me and lots of other people, we tend to think that God hops in and out of the journey and you Mm. feel so, so, so down and lost. Like where in the actual hell did he go? He is clearly (laughs) not here in the midst of this sucker punch, right? Mm -hmm. When, and then I've also experienced where, okay, He's here for the long haul, but why, why is he stepping back? Why is he stepping back and allowing this to happen? And I've found in recent years that that's not the case. We are just, I have not been opening my eyes to see what he's actually trying to do. (laughs) I'm blocking that, that whole path that he had designed. Yeah. Yeah. And my first, my first chapter, the first seven, seven meditations fall under the heading perceiving mm. which is exactly what you're talking about. Um, and I use the image of the tapestry, how, mm-hmm. you know, if, if you do any kind of handicraft tapestry, cross stitch, whatever, odds are the backside is a mess, at least for me, you know, um, no matter how gorgeous the front is, the back is a mess. And I said, if, if our life is a tapestry, enormous tapestry, we are most often staring at it from the back and from like here, you know, and we, all we see is this, this tiny mess. Um, and only God beholds it whole, I say. You know, I love that image. And it's interesting that you use that image because I've used that description many times when I speak to people about addiction and, and the things that my son went through and how, you know, you see, you see a thread, we, we see a thread, we don't, we don't see where the thread fits into things until we pull back. And that's not always easy to do when you're in the midst of challenges and crisis. It, it's as Kristen said, you're in the midst of that moment and you're, where's God? Why is God not fixing this? Because we're focused on that, that moment. But I think this idea of God abiding and this being with us through the long haul um, it's, it's probably comforting and maddening at the same time, because, you know, sometimes you want somebody to just come in and fix everything <laughs> and God doesn't work like that. Right. Right. Yeah. It's also at a much slower pace than Kristen mm-hmm. Smedley appreciates. We would like to accelerate her pedal in this journey. One thing I actually, I, I, I was, I was overwhelmed this week with so many things going on and wasn't realizing the conversation we were going to have today. And this morning, this is why I love how this is when I know that God interjects things to say, get off my back, Kristen. I got you right. He interjects these little things this morning. I just put in the brilliant, the resilient community, 
Um, a post I'm obsessed with the Jesus calling book. And that's, mm-hmm. you know, I spend every morning with that. And it talks about the, the, the main message was basically be still and, and let me change your thinking around what's happening here. Take a breath. And I have committed to the past, at least year or so, when I see things that I think are, you know, um, not in my plan and not the way it's supposed to go. I do take a breath and try to see, I was calling it today with a God lens, you know, okay. Mm -hmm. What is the real opportunity here? that, yeah, this isn't in line with the plan I had, but what is he wanting me to see an opportunity to pivot in a different way, or he's got a bigger thing coming. And I posted on there. I don't know if you're familiar with this song, but, um, Rhett Walker does it's called good to me. And the whole song is about, he's saying to God, I don't understand why you're doing this or why this is happening, but you've always had good in mind for me. It's always a good thing that you have for me. And the song is just incredible for keeping this when you're saying your first chapter is about perceiving that it is for the good, or, you know, this is happening for me, not to me. And when I go about it that way, it's a lot easier for me to change my perception of what's happening and then watch for the opportunity. Now there are times I say, I like to look through the God lens. There are times I think he needs glasses because his, his lens, I'm like, really? <laughs> Something magnificent is coming out of this. <laughs> what you seeing? <laughs> yeah. yeah. And I, lo- I love that, that, that thing you, but, but I know you've always been good to me because I, there's a line, I don't know whose line it is. Um, something about hope is the simple trust that God has not forgotten the recipe for manna. Oh my gosh. That's great. <laughs> I did not make that up. But the idea, you know, I think about those, you know, those Israelites in the desert for all those years, you know, like after the manna had showed up reliably for, you know, a year, for 10 years, did they stop wringing their hands and wondering where their next meal was coming from? I hope so, but I don't know. Yeah. Ideally, and this is part of, this is a gift of age or can be. You know, if we, when we look back and we can see God's hand in retrospect, it ought to give us some confidence for the road ahead. You know, it, it ideally stirs up some trust that that the God who has been so good to me, is not going to stop, you know, but um, the human brain doesn't always work that way. So to that end, take us through, you have what you call, I think, movements Mm -hmm. in, in the book. So take us through what those are, because they're very, um, they're very exemplary of, of the stages that people go through in life at various times. And, and, you know, it's not a process. It's this happens, that happens, this happens, that happens. But, but there are these, these periods where we experience these, these emotions and these things, depending on what's happening in our lives. But the idea that God is through all of it is not something that we always hang on to, as you both just made that point. So take us through those movements. So I, I, I named the four movements, perceiving, becoming, embracing, and releasing. Hmm. I say perceive. Isn't it nice how they all sort of, you know, cadence. I like all the ings. Ings. Again, <laughs> the ings. And also you could like the cadence. It's, you know, uh-huh. and you could sing it. Um, I won't. Uh, <laughs> Perceiving, I say we awaken to the world around us. Becoming, we discover and rediscover our path. Mm. I like the rediscover part because we do go through that process over and over again. It's not just one and done, absolutely not. 
um, embracing, I say we, we practice love in its many forms, by which I don't just mean like we fall in love and get married, you know, like we practice love in its many forms. Um, and releasing, we grieve the loss of much that we hold dear. Hmm. Huh. And I say the movements are neither sequential nor singular. We go back and forth, um, you know, again, much like a weaver, um, you know, and do these things over and over again. So, so each of these, these movements, I mean, Kristen and I talk about, <laughs> talk about brilliantly resilient all the time and say, you don't just get brilliantly resilient and then that's it. It doesn't work that way. <laughs> and very often we find ourselves at the beginning of the process again, depending on what's happening in our lives. So I guess what my question is, do you, can you kind of set these up as benchmarks in an experience or do you just, do you just experience them and, and be aware of that? Like, is it something that you can say, all right, here's my first step. Here's my second step. When you're going through a crisis or a challenge. I, I think that I would not call them steps. They might framed as questions and I'm just thinking okay. this now as you say it but so in a crisis you know what am I called to perceive what am I called to look at differently and Kristen that's what you were saying before mm -hmm. um you know becoming what what's the invitation in this for me to grow and change um embracing what's who am I being invited to love here what's the loving thing to do here how am I being called to love myself here and releasing what do I need to, what do I have no choice about letting go of, you know, what has been ripped from my hands hmm. and what do I have the opportunity to sort of hold more lightly, to let go, to turn over, even if it's no longer mine to turn over, um, you know, in order to move forward more, more peacefully. I love seeing those as questions because I think so often um, when we're in challenges and when we're in crisis, um, we're looking for answers, but we don't always ask the right questions. Mm -hmm. I think the answers uh, that we are seeking very often are solutions to make the problem go away. And that, <laughs> that doesn't, ha I mean, that doesn't happen. It, it happens I don't think ever, but if it does happen at all, it's very, very rare. So this opportunity to reframe everything as an opportunity for growth and let's bring God back into this. How does God influence the perceiving, becoming, embracing and releasing? Where does God fit into those pieces? I mean, I think that the assumption is that, that for me, that God is always present, that God has a perspective and that, that, that God is sort of perpetually inviting, you know, God is very gracious. You know, think about even, we think in the gospel stories, blind Bartimaeus, you know, begging on the side of the road, Jesus says to him, what do you want me to do for you? Now, is it not perfectly obvious? He's a blind <laughs> beggar for Pete's sake. <laughs> um, but maybe his mother is desperately ill and he's seeking a cure for her. Maybe he has fallen desperately in love with someone and would like to be loved back. 
you know, and, and Jesus is so gracious, gentlemanly, one might say, um, and asks the question, what do you want me to do for you? Um, even the, the man who'd been sitting by the pool of Bethsaida for 38 years, having not found anyone to get him into the pool, Jesus' first question to him is, do you want to be healed? Just on the off chance that sitting by the pool was just fine, <laughs> you know? Um, and so I think that, that God is always inviting, you know, never compelling. And so in those four questions, you know, there's always, you know, God's invitation for us to, to learn something, to do something, to sit with something, to wait for something. Um, and that, that is the presence of God weaving in and out of all those questions. Well, I think too, those, I know when I ask myself those questions, if I'm thinking about, okay, like, let's just take difficult people, right? For the people you have to embrace and whatever. I start to think, okay, I, me as Kristen, I do not see the point of you on this planet, difficult person, other than to drive me out of my mind and make everybody's day miserable. So then I'm like, I'll do this. I envision myself like God hanging out with me in my Jeep. Right. And I'm like, so what's the point of this person? You know, like I actually have to do that sometimes to say, you put them here. Like, what am I supposed to be seeing? You know? And it actually, I mean, it has, or like if, if I'm in a, a head to head battle with one of my kids over, you know, as they're getting older, it is hard. They have their theories of the world and mm -hmm. I have my way of how it should be going. And I'm right, but let's just back up and say that, okay, we'll give them some space, but same thing. Like why I'm thinking just the other day with all of them being home, I'm thinking with my one son, I'm like, gosh, he is so he just wants it his way. And he's so, and I think, gosh, but yes, he's been given these gifts. Right. And I'm like, all right, what is my responsibility in this as his mom, right. To still be the guide and all that. But when I do it from that point of view of, of God as the passenger in my Jeep, cause he's not driving my Jeep. I am. <laughs> I haven't <laughs> let him take the wheel of that yet. When I think about it, you, he's got this purpose. And he, a friend of mine said to me one time, Kristen, if you just can't figure out what God's purpose is for the person, then you say that that person is a child of God, cleverly disguised as an idiot. <laughs> <laughs> you move on. I love that. And that's what I do. Yeah. yeah. I mean, sometimes what I will do, first of all, my usual go-to mantra is please remember that it is harder to be that person than to be with that person. Because oh. they are themselves all the time. And I am mm. only sometimes. So like mm. that, that's, that I sometimes find helpful. There's a, um, if you're familiar with Kelly Corrigan, she's got a great like podcast and PBS special called Tell Me More. Oh uh, yeah. She's yeah. so wise. And she <laughs> said what she has learned, she used to say, as I think we've probably all said, probably within the last, you know, day or week, what is wrong with you? We really say it out loud, but do we not often say, what is wrong with this person? Uh, or what is wrong with people? Um, and she said, what she has learned to pivot to is instead of saying, asking herself, what is wrong with this person? Say, what happened to this person? Hmm. And th that stirs up in her enough compassion to get through the difficult interaction. Wow. It's a much more uh, generous way of looking at the world. And I think as I'm listening to you, um, I think that perhaps the the role of of 
these questions and everything is to maybe shift us to looking through a God lens as opposed to an ego lens. Right, which is always going to be a more compassionate lens. Mm -hmm. And it's always going to be a more, a less certain lens. You know, hmm. it's going to just take away the, the, the absolute convictions with, with which we are looking at many things and just open us up to the possibility, unlikely as it sounds, that we could be mistaken. Huh. <laughs> I don't know if I like that idea. Yeah, I know. I know. <laughs> but, you know, I think when we allow that uh, um, idea to enter into our minds that Either, either the idea that possibly we're mistaken, or if we can't get there, that possibly there is another reason that is not to, in line with our thinking. Mm -hmm. It takes some of that anger and angst that is so prevalent in the world today. It kind of deflates that a little bit. When you recognize that not everyone is out to attack you or best you, Mm -hmm. and maybe look at it that they're looking at it from their lens and it's actually not about you at all. Um, I, th I think it immediately allows you to, to, to notch down that emotional attachment to everything that everybody seems to have these days and look at it more from a, um, if not logical, a less ego-driven perspective. Right, right. In the book he wrote during the pandemic, which is called Let Us Dream, Pope Francis says that we should decenter ourselves. Hmm. That a, hmm. yep, I feel like I don't even need a whole lot of explanation about what that means. That just makes sense to me. Yeah. yeah. It's hard, but I understand what he means. Yeah, it absolutely does. So in terms of the, um, this is the part that I think well, the embracing part, practicing love in, in, to other people, but the, the releasing part, um, I have found um, that as I get older, and again, you said this is kind of wisdom, so some of this is wisdom that comes from age, but sometimes releasing things that we're holding on to so tightly is actually a gift to ourselves because mm -hmm. first of all, when you release them, you, you lighten yourself for for whether it's a feeling of grieving that accompanies that or maybe a feeling of appreciating things in a new light like sometimes when you let go of things i feel like you can then go okay you look at it in its entirety what did this bring to my life what is i think about um I think about Marie Kondo, the, the woman about the, the letting go of all of your possessions and all. And she like, she'll say, if you have like this favorite item that, you know, brought you so much joy, but you haven't worn it in a year, you look at it and you go, what joy did you bring me? And you experience that. And then you go now bring joy to someone else, you know, and, and you release it to, to the world. So I don't know if releasing our pain into the world necessarily brings joy to anybody, but I think it does give us an opportunity to view it with a different perspective. Is mm -hmm. does that how that kind of goes back to that, you know, cyclical idea of these movements? It really does. And I just um something you said just made me think of something. Um you know, I really struggled with my mother's death. She died at 67, mm -hmm. which gets younger every year. Um, <laughs> And, uh, and I was, I tell a story about standing like right at the surf line in Wildwood, just sobbing, maybe two years after she died, a year or two after she died, um, and seeing this pod of dolphins go by, just, you know, playing and frolicking and having so much fun. 
um, and I say, this is what it's like for me now. This thought came unbidden in my mother's voice. It hit me that mom was no longer trapped in her failing body enduring dreadful procedures. I was the one stuck doing battle reenactments. Mm. It suffered. Those weeks had been excruciating, but they were over. No one could hurt her anymore. She was free. Mm. Um, he is not here, angels told the women that first Easter morning. Jesus wasn't in the empty tomb, and mom wasn't in the hospital room. If I wanted to be where she was, I had to quit staring at where she'd been. Oh, Wow, that's fantastic. If I wanted to be where she was, I had to quit staring at where she'd been. Same thing with, with a, um, you know, a challenge comes your way and you're staring at where you wanted it to be, where you wanted your life to go. Yeah. Missing the whole other scene right next door of what's waiting. Mm -hmm. How do we do that? What's the matter with us? <laughs> Christine, what happened to us? What happened to us? <laughs> we don't want to go there. <laughs> but it is, it is amazing that, and then it's, it's, uh, so I used to drive myself, well, I didn't drive myself crazy. What drove me crazy was I've watched myself over and over again, staring at that place where they are no longer instead of, or where I was and where I could be going. Mm -hmm. And then when I started to realize, oh my gosh, let me, let me, turn, but I still hold on. I don't know why I do that. I hold on to that. I hold on to that. But then when I do like Mary Branson, when I do release it and turn and look at where I can be going for a while, there I was like, well, what took you so long? What's the matter with you? You know, better than that. Stop looking at that door. <laughs> but I think it's also part of what you said in the, in that fourth piece, the grieving of it, you do have to go through that, that process of, of the loss. Cause I think otherwise you become like I was 15, 20 years ago that my therapist one time called me a stuffer. I just stuff it. I don't want to, I don't want to deal. I'm just going to, I'm going to, it's, it's there and I'm going to move on. And when you don't go through that process, then it comes back, woo, comes back and get you later in very weird ways. But yeah. I think the grieving, I'm, I'm, I'm so happy that you put that in there to give people the, the grace and space and permission that you can sit there and, and be upset at the life you thought your kid was going to have, or that you'd celebrate your mom's 80th birthday, or that the relationship was going to continue. You do have to grieve that. Absolutely. I feel like it's, it's almost as though there's a, there's a path ahead of you and it's filled with these concrete blocks. And until you go through that and examine each block and move it to the side, you can't, you really can't go forward. Mm -hmm. you, you, you know, you have to, you have to experience each of those things, but again, and, and I think this is just part of the human condition with, with our, you know, fear of time passing and of things passing us by and of things moving that we want to hold on sometimes to what has been, regardless of whether it was good in its entirety for us at all. Case right. in point, you know, your situation with your mom, of course, you didn't want your mother to suffer, but you also didn't want to lose her. So we have to recognize that sometimes those two things don't always go hand in hand. And when you can, it also, it also implies though, that you have to have some hope for the beyond, for something that's beyond this experience. Right. And um, maybe that's the part that's challenging for people. I don't know. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Do you see that, um, do you see that that has to be a part of this, 
that there has to be an awareness of this isn't all there is in order to almost experience this world fully to recognize, like when I see things like you saw with the dolphins, like I'm a believer in signs. I, I truly believe that we are being spoken to just not in the language that we hear through our ears all the time. But um, I almost feel like in order for you to really experience the release of things that you don't want to give up, you have to expect that there is something beyond. There's another force out there. Yes. Yeah. And when I hear you say something beyond, I think of both, you know, a life beyond this life um, and also just something beyond what we are conscious of with our limited minds. And we go back to St. Ignatius, the beginning of the opening line of his first principle and foundation um, is that I'm paraphrasing, but that that we were created to live with God forever. Um, and when I read that, I always thought of it as being forever, you know, unto eternity. Um, but that, but that forever can also mean at all times, including right now. Hmm. You know? and so we don't want to you know, we don't want to go to extremes on in either way. You know, we don't want to be sort of all pie in the sky when you die. Like, it doesn't matter what happens now, because eventually I'm going to be with God in heaven. Like, you know, you could have a pretty miserable existence for X number of years if, if it's just about what happens in the afterlife, um, you know, but, but to, to have sort of that confidence that there is more than we can see, I think, enables you to hold your own opinions and experiences more loosely. You know, one of the things that, um, that I've really come to embrace in studying the principles of success as I'm working with the blind community is the number one thing, which is taking a hundred percent responsibility for your life. Mm. And I tend to see a lot of faith-based books and things making it more of, um, you know, people get the message that God is actually responsible mm. and I'm kind of along for the ride and opening my eyes to where he wants me to go. And it becomes a passive thing. Whereas your books are saying it's, it is your responsibility to ask these questions to do. And you have action words, everything with an ING that mm. we are responsible to live this life the way that we're supposed to with the God lens and along, you know, having him in the Jeep with you. <laughs> You know, but you really do have to take responsibility for all that you are in this world and the stuff to be doing. So I so appreciate that, especially even the questions that we need to ask to keep our responsibility in this. Exactly. Because if we, if we make ourselves be these sort of passive victims of God's will, um, that can really eventually estrange us from God when real tragedy happens, Mm. because we have to, um, we have to be convincing ourselves that this horrifying turn of events is somehow God's bright idea. Yeah. And that if only we understood God's purpose, then we'd be okay with it, you know? And um, I yeah. think that just turns God into the, the bad guy. Well, and it's even in, is it a parable? Is it a, I forget what it was called, where the, the three guys with the money. Mm-hmm. I'm really bad at quoting the Bible, aren't I? Yeah. There's, there, so there's these three guys with money. <laughs> three guys walk into a bar with money. No, that's it's like not a it. Joe Pesci movie, right? Yeah. <laughs> three guys with money. When when the one buries it, the one you you know, the one saves it, and the one uses it. Like that, right there. That's yeah. you know, God says you are responsible 
Yeah. What do you mean you didn't do anything with it? Yeah. 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 I just right really put a wonderful spin on a beautiful conversation. <laughs> well, to the to that point, I want people to know about this book. What I want them to know is that this is not a um, this is not an exercise in here's what you should think, here's how you should feel. This is the thing that I love about your books is that you take personal, like just everyday experiences that you have had and moments that you have had in your life, and they're they are common enough to everyone that people can say, oh, when I had a similar experience Mm -hmm. and you tell a sweet, beautiful story, and then you ask the questions, how did you feel when something like this happened to you? How, how can I look at this? You, you also present the questions that you asked to yourself. Mm -hmm. How could I have looked at this differently? So the thing that I really want to get across to people is that this is, um, This is a book, a series of books that talks about ordinary, everyday life, things that we go through and finding a way to look at it so that we are not alone, Mm -hmm. that we are, that we have somebody right next to us willing to hold our hand if we just let them. Right. Exactly. And I really, I try very hard not to tie a tidy bow at the end of any chapter. You know, and that, and that I'm pretty good. I feel like I'm better with opening lines than closing lines, or at least they come to me faster. Um, but the, the thing that I struggled with in this second book more, I think, than in the first is how do I land this thing? Like, cause it's, you're right. It's, it's scripture passage, personal story, musing on lessons learned, questions for personal reflection in the musing on lessons learned. Like, I just, I don't want to be trite. I don't want to toss some pious platitude in the end there, just so I can get out of the chapter. Um, you know, so, so really sticking with that, you know, this is what I experienced. This is what I wonder. This is what I hope. How about you? And, and that's a beautiful way to, to give a perspective, but not lock anyone into it is to end it with that question. Like, what do you think about this? Because it really at its best that what this book is, is a conversation, even though you're not having it in person with people, it's a conversation with you. It's a conversation with God. And it is, I can't say enough how much I have picked this book up before going off to bed and just you know, read finding God in a foreign tongue, um, finding God on the oncology floor. I'm just flipping through. This is one of my favorites, fly, finding God in a flowered house dress. Yes. So these opportunities for us to see more and see God with us all the time exist constantly. We just have to, we just have to seek it out. Amen. Yeah. So Christine, as always, this has been a delightful, fulfilling conversation. Um, Please tell everybody else where they can find you, where they can get the books. If there's any bits of wisdom that you want to leave us with, please do that now. Sure, sure. So the, the, the place, the easiest thing to do is just Google my name or whatever search engine you use. Um, And it's, Christine Marie Eberly. My actual website is christinemarieeberly.com, but there's hyphens between the, you know, between the names. So that's annoying. Sorry about that. Um, but on my website, you will find how to get my books, um, how to hire me to come speak or give a retreat for your group. Um, in this new freelance existence of mine, you know, I do a lot. I do retreats on Zoom. I do speaking engagements. I will travel. Um, 
you can read my blog, which you know comes out every however often. Um, so there's there's <laughs> very unpredictable. Um, so there's there's a ton of stuff there, and uh, that is the best place to go. ChristineMarieEverly.com with hyphens. Well, thank you so much for joining us today. I'm going to turn it over to Kristen to take us out. Thank you. This was absolutely fantastic. And I'm interested to hear our listeners um, give us some comments and some feedback on, on those different, those four different pillars, the perceiving uh, all the way through the, the grieving and which spots you're working on or have, if you've perfected them, please come on. Please we'll let us know. Show, please. And then you can train me in how to do it. Cause I'm working in all four people, but I'm interested to see which one of those landed the most with you. And then how this book, each of those chapters can help. And if you're looking for more resources on resetting, rising and revealing your brilliance, just go to brilliantlyresilient.net and you'll find all kinds of stuff right on the homepage. We've got all the buttons for you there and especially get our most popular, which is the brilliance bit. It comes right to your email inbox every week and um, it keeps you living brilliantly resilient. We'll see you next time, everybody. Thanks for tuning in to the Brilliantly Resilient podcast. Join our Facebook group and follow us on YouTube to be inspired with tools to reset, rise, and reveal your brilliance.